Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a pleasure, joy to be with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to First Peter, chapter one, and verses one to three, one to nine. I'll read it for you guys. First Peter, chapter one, verses one to nine. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you know anything about First Peter, this letter that, Paul, that Peter writes, he writes to a group of people who are being persecuted, facing hardships, going through a lot of trials in their lives, and certainly seems like marginalized in their community. They're a minority, not very different from many communities around the world these days, not very different from the community that I am part of today. And when Peter writes this letter to them, what do you think, if, let me say it this, this way, if you and I were writing a letter to a group of believers that have been struggling, have been persecuted, have been going through various trials, what are the things, how would we try to encourage them? How would we try to provide them some kind of hope? What are the things that you and I would say? What are the things you and I say to people around us when we find out that someone among us, in the midst of us, is struggling in this way or the other? This morning, I do not know what circumstances that you have been facing, what has been going on with your life. But I know that as we look into this scripture, I hope and I pray that the Lord would encourage you, challenge you, and provide much encouragement to continue in the faith that the Lord has called us to. 
As we look at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, which is about a living hope, if I could summarize it in one statement, one sentence, I think this is what I would say. This is what Peter is saying to you and I this morning. Christians, praise the Lord for the salvation. Christians, praise the Lord for the salvation. And rejoice in the midst of trials. And rejoice in the midst of trials because they have a living hope in Jesus Christ. So if you try to put everything together from verses 1 to 9, I mean, this is what is going on. So there's an instruction and an encouragement, but also a reminder at the same time. So the believers, those who trust in Christ, they praise the Lord. What do they praise the Lord for? They praise the Lord for their salvation. And what else do they do? They rejoice when, even in the midst of trials. Why? Why, why can they do that? Ah, because they have a hope. What kind of hope? A living hope. A hope in whom? In Jesus Christ. And we'll see this in two sections. In two sections from verses 1 to 5, very simply. Verses 1 to 5, very simply. Christians, praise the Lord for the salvation. So we'll see that Peter will draw the attention to the work of God in their lives. I mean, you and I, if we want to encourage people, we might be tempted to talk about various things. It seems like Peter, as a good pastor, when he wants to encourage these believers, draws their attention towards the work of Christ that has been done in their lives, the work of salvation. So that's why he basically wants to encourage them to praise the Lord for that. So verses 1 to 5, Christians praise the Lord, believers, and you and I must praise the Lord for our salvation. They must praise the Lord for their salvation. And second, the major chunk, verses 6 to 9, basically, they will rejoice. Christians rejoice. And encouragement, uh, and, uh, um, just exhortation to rejoice in the midst of trial. So let's just get to our text and look here in chapter 1, verse 1, very quickly. We know who Peter is. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been sent by Christ. He is the spokesperson of Christ. Whom does he write this letter to? He writes this letter to the people who are in, in exile. If you notice in verse 1, the language that is used for them, exiles and dispersion, is a similar language that is used for the people of God, uh, those people of God, Jewish people, people, Hebrew people. It's very interesting that Peter addresses these people who are primarily from non-Jewish background. They are Gentile believers. They are in dispersion. They are in places that are primarily non-Jewish places. So these are believers from Gentile background. And the first thing that he reminds them is about their election. Do you see that? In verse 1, right in the beginning, he says that you people, you folks, I, I know you guys are going through different kinds of trials. I know there are a lot of uh, troubles in your life. But what I want you to draw comfort from, draw succor, draw a lot of strength from the very fact that you have been chosen by the Lord. The work of election, the doctrine of election right in the beginning is to strengthen them in their faith and in their work in the Lord. And the work of election that has happened in their life, the Lord has chosen them, verse 
One, your elect exiles, those who are not, you're temporary on this earth. This is not your home. You are bound to a promised land. But while you are here, you must remember this work of election, the work of salvation has been done, undertaken by God the Father, God, God the Son, God the Spirit, verse 2. A very Trinitarian work. It is God in His goodness, in His mercy, in His sovereignty, in His whole wisdom. God the Father knew about His people, God the Spirit did the work of sanctification, setting them apart, making them holy. Why? So that they may live a life of obedience. They put the trust in Jesus Christ. They have repented of their sins, turned away from their old ways, and now they're living a life where they have been sprinkled, washed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This also reminds us of the language from the Old Testament of covenant, Jesus drawing them into this new covenant. So Peter, right off the bat, verse 1, wants to encourage the believers, think about what God has done for you. Praise Him for this work of election. Praise Him for, for saving you. Praise Him for choosing you. Now, instead of focusing on what is going wrong in your life, lift up your eyes and think, God in eternity past, God in eternity past, made this thing possible for you. He planned it. He orchestrated it. God in his great mercy. I just love the way um, uh, the language in verse 3 goes on. Peter, right, he says in the beginning, he says, Blessed be God the Father. He cannot restrain himself from praising the Lord for what he has done. I think he's thinking about them. He's thinking about their lives. He's thinking about his own life. And he's saying, let us praise the Lord. Let us glorify his name. Let us honor him. Let us worship him. Because he has shown great mercy to us. Mercy undeserved. You and I do not deserve any of God's kindness and goodness. But he has shown us great mercy. And we've just sung about, sung about this song. His mercy is, his, is great According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. So praise God for election. And then verse 3, praise God for regeneration. Giving us new life. Giving us new birth. Sometimes when we think about these things, we tend to read these verses and just glance through them and just quickly pass and not dwell on them. Why would Peter, wanting to encourage these believers, spend the first few verses talking about what God has done for them? I mean, it's very telling. It's very telling. You and I, as we think about our own lives, if we lift up our eyes and focus on what God has done for us already in Christ Jesus, that just changes the way we think about life, the perspective our eyes are lifted up from the problems of this world and are put on the one who has caused us to be born again. I mean, he's the one who did it. He's the source of it, the Lord God himself. And when he gave us new birth, he gave us a living hope. 
a hope that the world cannot offer, a hope that empty words cannot offer, a hope that you and I cannot offer just by positive encouragement. Now, we need all of that. We need encouragement. We need to say good words, kind words. We need to say positive things to people around us. We need to help people think about problems and how to get out of them. What counsel, comfort that we can provide people. We need that at times. But right here, Peter is very clear that the way you will have encouragement in life is by thinking about the hope that is in Christ that comes to us. How? Because of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've noticed this. The New Testament again and again just takes us back to the same, same story. You start from here, you start from there, you start from another direction, you come back to what Christ has done for us. Until and unless you and I truly own this thing, make this thing ours, until this is really lodged into the deepest places of our heart that I once was lost, I had no hope, I, I, I was heading towards sure destruction, but God in His kindness, he, he reached out to me. He made the first, first move. He, I did not deserve it. In his great mercy, he sent his only son. His son, the perfect son, who came and lived a perfect life for me in my place. He kept the, the law that I could not. He pleased the father for in his life the way I should have lived he lived and then he paid the penalty of my sins. He died on the cross. But he just did not remain dead. He rose again on the third day. And this shows that because he is the resurrected Christ, you and I have hope. You and I have hope of life after life. Of life eternal. Of life that is true. The life with God, being reconciled to God. And again, as I've thought about this passage and I've preached through at my church and, and a lot of people of different categories and different um, situations in life, uh, a lot of problems of all sorts in this world, whether, whether it be financial, whether it will be some having to do with medical situation or broken relationships, one of the ways I can encourage my church as a good pastor, which is what Peter is doing for his people, is to draw their attention, is to remind them again of what God has done for them. You know, if, if you are someone who is truly being born again, someone who truly holds on to this living hope, being reminded of this truth week in and week out, Sunday by Sunday, during the week, in one-on-one -on -one conversation, is not something to be despised and is boring. You do not go and say in your mind, oh, I know what you're going to say now. Oh, there he goes again. You're not going to switch off. But every time you hear them, these words, they are like sweet reminder. That's like honey for your soul. You say, oh, oh my goodness, Lord. I you had great mercy on me. 
on me, a wretched sinner. And for me, your son came and lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for me. Oh, so that I might have hope, a hope that will not perish, a hope that is eternal, a hope that is living, uh, very different from what this world has to offer. I mean, if we do not have hope, we would not live another day. If we do not have hope, we would not go to work. We would not carry out our responsibilities. And we need to have that kind of hope. But what Peter is saying to his people, you have a much greater hope. This hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the hope that we have? Uh, we have the hope of an inheritance. Verse 4. Verse 4. Praise the Lord for election. Praise the Lord for new birth, regeneration. Praise the Lord for living hope. Verse 4, praise the Lord for an inheritance. Oh, so we have a hope and we're going to get something. A hope to receive something. A hope of inheritance. What is this inheritance? Oh, well, it's some kind of inheritance which is imperishable, which is undefiled, and which is unfading. Imperishable, undefined, unfading. Basically, Peter is trying to describe that this is not going to be taken away from you. This is not a false promise, a false hope, hoping against hope that I'm going to receive something from the Lord. But when the time comes, it's not there. That is why it is kept in heaven for you. When the New Testament, when the Bible uses the, the term phrase inheritance, it can mean it also means portion. So God is our portion. God is our inheritance. We are God's inheritance. He has made us his people and he will be ours. He is ours because of Jesus Christ. What do Christians want the most? What is the inheritance that you and I are looking forward to? In the Old Testament, you know that Israelites were looking forward to the promised land, the Canaan. Canaan that was given to them, they had it for a while, but they lost it because of disobedience. They lost it because of rebellion. But the New Testament believers, these believers, those who are in exile, those who are in dispersion, the diaspora, the, the new Israel, the new people of God, they have an inheritance, a land that is, a, that is awaiting, a city, the promised land that awaits them, which will not be taken away. That cannot be conquered by someone else, that cannot perish, that cannot fade, that cannot be destroyed. Their hope is certain. They will have their reward. They will have God himself. They will belong to God. God will be theirs and they will be God's and they will be in his presence in the new heavens and new earth. I think this is what the writer is alluding to. Not just some piece of land, a plot of land, an inheritance which is much greater. And what would they have when they are there? They would have the very presence of God. The very fellowship with the triune God. The triune God 
who has saved them. The triune God would be with them forever and ever. This is the inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And it awaits them. Will it be there or not? Will it be there or not? Verse 4 towards the end, it says, it is kept in heaven for you. I mean, it's a very strong language. Heaven cannot be shaken. I mean, every language, every word that Peter is using to say, well, trust me, brothers. Trust me, sisters. This is yours. This is yours for sure. No one can take it away from you. You're not being, you're not being given some false hopes. You know, in India, often um, uh, there are some unscrupulous uh, real estate dealers. They will often go to places where um, they, they, they expect a real estate prices to go up. They'll find uh, poor farmers. Uh, a lot of them are illiterate. They, they will promise them that we'll give you a lot of money for this plot of land. And they'll write them checks, future data checks. And they'll get the property in their names. But when the time will come, most of these farmers will never be able to check those cash, cash those checks. It's a false promise, a false hope of a lot of money in the future, never to materialize. When Peter talks about inheritance being kept in heaven, it is not high in the sky when you die, but it is guaranteed. Why? Because, the, because of the one who came, who lived the perfect life, and he died on the cross, and he rose again. So what happened to him is sure to happen to us. If not, then our faith is of no substance. And this is what Peter is trying to draw the attention of the believers here. He says, by the way, uh, there, there's this... this uh, Inheritance for you in heaven. But how do I know I'll make it? What if, what if I, I wander? What if I falter? What if I never, uh, never make it to that place? Ah, verse 5. Verse 5. Look at me in verse 5. Praise the Lord for inheritance and praise the Lord for protection, preservation, perseverance. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded. So those who have been promised this inheritance, they are being guarded by no one else but God himself. Now, I, have no, I hope you've noticed that the whole language is very theocentric, very God-centered. God is the one who calls us. God is the one who gives us new life. God is the one who promises us this. And now God is the one who's going to protect us, keep us safe. And he will bring us home. Verse 5 towards the end, in the middle it says, by God's power, it is, I mean, I do not have to expound that more. In heaven, the, your, your inheritance is in heaven. Nobody is going to touch that. Nobody can get there. You are here on this earth. Oh, by, by the way, you are being protected. You will persevere. You will preserve. Not because of some sheer um, great, not because of some sheer self-determination, not because of just some self-discipline, although we need all of that, but more than that, it is primarily because of the power of God. 
by God's power, we are being guarded through the faith. Faith in Christ, faith in what he has done for us, faith in who he is, faith in the provision through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we have the faith. And what are we going to receive one day? Verse 5, towards the end, the salvation that is going to be provided to us. So in verses 1 to 5, effectively what Peter is saying to them, hey, praise the Lord, you have a living hope. You have a living hope because the salvation is yours. You have this salvation. And therefore, just press on. Therefore, persevere. You look to the past. When you look in the past, you see what God did in eternity past. He, he, he chose you. But when you think about your life in the past, he made you alive. And now in the present, he's, he's protecting you. He's preserving you so that in the future, one day, the salvation will be yours in its fullness. So let's praise the Lord for that. Not only that, in verses 6 onwards, Peter reminds and encourages the believers to persevere. To persevere for the salvation which is to be revealed in the last time, in the coming time, when the time is done for us. So notice in verse 6, he basically wants to say, in this you rejoice. So praise the Lord. You rejoice. You rejoice in what? You rejoice in knowing what God has done for you. You rejoice in knowing what God has in store for you. I mean, a very quick question for you and I. What are the things that you and I rejoice in? What are the things that you and I rejoice in this, this week, past week? What are the things that you've been putting your hopes in? It's, it's, it's funny, right? Like you and I uh, are people of hope. People who have, we talk a lot about life after life. We talk about eternal life all the time. This is why we follow Christ. How much do we really think about that during the week? It's ironical that most of the time our energy, our pursuits, our affections, our planning, our strategies, our energy, what is given to? Life after life? Finding hope, the living hope that we have, to have that inheritance. I think it'd be good for us just to take a pause and just think about ourselves and ask the Lord to have mercy on us. It is only by His grace, only by His mercy, we will be able to lift our eyes up from the things of here and now and be able to think about what is to come. This is why it's so important for Christians to gather regularly. This is why it's so important for Christians to gather as a church to do precisely this, to remind one another what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and what God will do for us in the future, what is in store for us in the future. Now, things are hard here. Of course, things are difficult. For some more, a different stage of life, a different point of life. For some, a little less. But it is going to happen. But in the midst of that, 
in, 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 the, in the midst of all the difficult circumstances. How do you encourage yourself? How do I encourage myself? How do we encourage one another? How do we encourage the whole church to persevere? Oh, praise the Lord for his salvation. That is why we have hope. That is why, verse 6, that is why we can rejoice even in our trials. Even in our trials. Verse 6, we rejoice even though for a little while, for a time being. You see the perspective that Peter has? He's not being dismissive. He's not being a careless pastor. He's not being insensitive by any standard. He's not minimizing the pain, the suffering, the struggles, the persecution, the opposition, the poverty that these people are facing. When he says little while, he's not belittling their experiences. He's, 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 he is very considerate. He understands what's going on with them. And he understands the best way to encourage and challenge these brothers and sisters is to help them to have the right perspective about life, difficulties, problems, when you think about it in the light of eternity. When you think about it in the light of what is yet to come. That is why in verse 6 he says, you rejoice now. You must rejoice and you are rejoicing. The work of the Spirit enables you to, the new heart that you have, the, the, the heart of stone has been replaced by the heart of flesh, the indwelling Holy Spirit enables you to trust in the Lord and face all these circumstances and, and be full of joy. And that's, you face these circumstances, there are difficulties for a little while because eventually this too shall pass. It does not matter what kind of hardship, difficulties that you are going through. You are being grieved by various trials. Of course you are being grieved. Of course you are. But it's good for you in a sense. And so you can praise the Lord. And you can rejoice. Why? Verse 7. It is good for you. Your faith is being tested. The very faith that will ensure that your, the salvation is yours when the time is right, at the last day, when, when God, when, when that inheritance that has been protected, guarded for you in heaven, and you are being guarded by God's power through faith, this faith now is being tested. Verse 7. Uh, you rejoice even when your faith is being tested. The genuineness of it. Many of us would wonder, why do we need our faith to be tested? It's not God's some sadistic um, uh, desire, uh, inclination. It's not like God, not, he's, not, he's not just for the sake of it, for the, just, just, just to make a life miserable. No, actually it is for a good. Verse 7, as a faith is being tested, it's being proven genuine. Is being proven true. Why do you follow Christ? Why do you worship with other saints? Do you truly believe in what you say? Are you truly looking forward to the life after life? Are you truly 
rejoicing in what God has done for you. I mean, uh, the country that I come from, um, there are a lot of people. It's a very spiritual country. It's a very sp- people are very spiritual. Everybody worships something. And what I mean by that, I mean literally some spiritual being or entity. There are very few people who would call themselves to be atheists or agnostics. Most of them are worshippers of something. And when people want to follow Christ, I often push back and say to them, why do you really want to follow Christ? What is it that you want from him? What is it that Christ will give to you? And a lot of preachers in my country will often say to people, hey, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. What problems you have in life, what troubles you have in life. Is it poverty? Is it sickness? Is it it some relationship that's broken? Do not worry. Do not worry. Trust in Jesus. He will fix it. He will provide a solution for your problems. And then we have hordes of people coming to Christ hoping and thinking that the Lord will take away all the problems. And the Lord is good, often in his goodness and his sovereignty. He will often answer the prayers of fallen men, and he will provide for our needs, and he does because he's a generous God. But that does not mean that we follow Christ for the provision of a body and, and the needs that we have in this world here and now. Ah, But when that doesn't happen, or we come to Christ seeking some kind, of, some kind of provision for me. It could be anything for different people, different backgrounds, different communities, different status, different section of the society, different parts of the world. What is it that you're looking for? And when those things do not fall in line as you had expected, how do you respond? How do you respond? When the going gets tough, when it's hard, when your faith seems to be joyless, when it seems to be a drudgery, when you seem to be tested and pushed from all directions, uh, why would the Lord allow this to happen? Well, it's good for you. Good for you. I mean, Peter provides us an illustration here of gold going through fire so that all the impurities are removed and presented pure. Similarly, in some ways, us going through difficulties, trials, and tribulations actually make us stronger in our faith. We trust in Him when everything else seems to fade away. We realize that our living hope is in Him, and we realize that everything else that we thought would provide us joy, provide us security, provide us meaning, provide us purpose, provide us stability, is, is temporary. It's rickety. It's fragile. It's here today, gone tomorrow. The only eternal hope that we have is in Christ Jesus. And so we cling on to him even more. And our faith is proven to be genuine because all I want is Christ and nothing more. Everything else is extra bonus icing on the cake. If I have it, praise the Lord. If I don't, praise the Lord. All I have is Christ. Is this the hope that you have? I mean, if you heard Peter's exhortation to you, if you were in his counseling room, you've gone to ask him 
You just want him to say just positive, encouraging words to you. Would you respond to Peter? Peter, can you please stop it? Don't give me more theology. I don't need theology, Peter. I just want somebody to understand me. And Peter would turn around to you and say, this is what you need. This is what you need to hold on to. This is where you would derive strength from. This is what would empower you, strengthen you, embolden you, give you everything that you need to persevere in your Christian faith. Everything else is just fluff. Everything else is there just to, it's just digression. Here's the main thing. There you go. Now grab it, get hold of it, now hold it close to your heart and just run with it. Just run with it. If our faith is tested and it is found to be genuine, uh, what would happen then? Verse Seven. Do you know what? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This is the truth. This is the reality that you and I must hold on to. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, oh, in spite of all the trials that we've faced, when he comes, all glory, all honor, all praise will be available to us with him as he receives all glory, as he receives all honor, as he receives all praise. All the problems, all the sufferings, all the trials, all the persecutions, all the lacking that we experience in this life. We did not have everything best here. We did not have everything that we desired. All the plans are bucket list that we never ever got to take. Any of the, that's all right. It's okay. Because when he appears the power glory honor will be ours as he receives all honor all glory all power he is a portion we are his i mean it's amazing it's how as god is glorified as we look to him we have such exciting future ahead of us oh but 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 peter i you really want me to trust that? You really want me to believe in those things? Can I really do that? Oh, yes. If people at that time could do it, you and I could do that. If you have genuine love for your Savior. If you are truly born again. Notice with me in verse 8, Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love me. Love him. You do not, uh, know, you do not see him. Now you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You know, the reason why people at that time can persevere is not because oh, they must, they should. It's not, uh, this is some religion that demands some kind of asceticism. You just renounce everything, denounce everything, forget about all feelings, forget about all expression. Uh, here's, you, this is what you got to do. Close your eyes and just run. Oh, no, 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 we do that. Because we have a relationship with this person. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It's not a religion to live like this. But it is the person that we love. It's a love affair. We love him. I mean, the love for him overflows in our hearts. Because he first loved us. 
because he gave his life for us. I mean, it comes back to the gospel again and again. Have you experienced this love of him dying on the cross for you, forgiving your sins uh, and, and making you alive, making him you part of his kingdom, bringing you out of the domain of the darkness? Now you are in his kingdom. That is why, because you belong to him, because you're in a relationship with him, because he's a person. It's not some power out there, some mystical power out there, some authority out there and tells you, live your life like this. No, 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 this is a person. I mean, look at the language here, Peter. There's so much affection. There's so much love. You've not seen him. Now, Peter is the one who has seen him. But Peter is saying, it doesn't matter whether you've seen him physically or not. It is by faith. It is by faith. You see him. He's as real to you as he was real to me. You touch him as much as I've touched him. You've, you are with him as much as I, am with, I was with him. You hear him as much as I have heard with him. That is why through all these trials, by faith, by faith, what would you do? You would persevere. It's the result of love. It's not duty without any experience of relationship. It is relationship driven by love. You love him and you believe in him. That is why you can experience joy which is inexpressible. This joy that doesn't come by just adding more things to your house. It doesn't come by buying more stuff as much as you can. It's by stocking up your bank accounts with more money. It's by having the best health insurance or the, or the future security that you... No, no, this comes in the midst of lacking. It comes in the midst of hardships. It comes in the midst of opposition. And what? Verse, verse 8 towards the end. You rejoice. You rejoice with joy. Joy which is inexpressible. It doesn't mean that you start jumping up and down and screaming and shouting. But there is a sense of peace, a trust, a stability that we know that the Lord is with us. He loves me and I love him. He has chosen me and he will bring me home. That is why verse 9 Peter can say, in the midst of all these experiences, you know that the salvation of yours is certain. We have been saved. We've been saved from the penalty of our sins. We are being saved. We've had victory over sin. But we will be saved from the presence of sin. One day, we will be with him. The salvation will be ours. This is the hope that we have. This is the living hope. Do you have this living hope? And how do you encourage one another when, when somebody feels they're all down and and struggling. Of course, we encourage them with kind words. But the hope that this gospel brings is one that this world cannot offer. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is here today, gone tomorrow. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, this morning. If you are a believer, if you trust in Christ, I hope this encourages you to just cherish this message even more and to persevere. But if you have still not put your trust in Jesus Christ, can I invite you to now put your trust in him? 
to find hope in Jesus Christ. Nothing else will give you hope that Christ and Christ alone can provide.